This is the MLW Radio Network. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? It's your boy, Blackheart, the head honcho off the Top Roast Podcast. If you love independent and professional wrestling and like all the juicy gossip of the wrestling industry, then look no further than here, OTTR Headquarters. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitch, and Facebook groups, and whatever that you get your podcast from with our, with our latest Last Week of Wrestling, After Darts, Under Boss's Hard Taste, and now a new upcoming trivia game show, Wrestling Every, coming soon. So if you like what you've seen, you love professional wrestling, you love independent wrestling, you love everything about wrestling just yourself, give us a tune. You know, you would not regret it. Blackheart out. Everyone knows a lot of things can change in the span of 10 years. But when it comes to professional wrestling podcasting, one thing is still guaranteed. The Shining Wizards is the only place to get all the latest wrestling news, interviews with the greatest guests, and of course, tons of laughs in discussing the world of wrestling. The show is still available on Monday nights at 7 p.m. East on RantDMRadio.com and Rant Entertainment Media on the TuneIn app. And it's still available on all podcasting platforms. To check us out, head over to ShiningWizards.com where it's still wrestling talk and talk about wrestling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. My name is Thomas, and what's your name? Uh, I'm Alan. Alan. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We're brothers. That's right. Yeah, yeah the mother, same mother and father. Your room was. Oh, we shared a room. Shared a room. For we right? shared a room. I thought I knew your face. Yeah, we go we? way back, mate. Yeah. yeah, we should do a podcast then. Uh, we have. We do. We do a podcast. We do a podcast. What's it called? The Broadcast. Yeah, that was planned. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do we do? Well, we cover all different things in the world of pop culture. We're talking about comic books, we're talking about professional wrestling, and we're talking about movies. Go back and watch classic retro wrestling events, the likes of WWE, WCW, and if you do like that, you can check us out on Apple iTunes, also on Podbean, Anchor, and on Podknife. Also check us out on Twitter, at The Broadcast. That's B-R-O. Okay, yeah, yeah. Hey, the ending. Hey, it's all right. Good on you. Yeah. Instagram also at the broadcast podcast. Remember, we don't spell it with a C. We spell it with a K. Sorry, mate. Take it easy. Welcome to another episode of Overbooked. My name is Mike Freeland. As you know, we are reading the Sabu book, which is Scars, Silence, and Super Glue. We left off on Chapter 9 last time. Let's go ahead and let's jump right into Chapter 10. Chapter 10 is entitled WCW. So yes, just Kevin Sullivan and I had two dealings with WCW in my career where I could have made some major money, but neither of them were so great. My first time dealing with Ted Turner's Atlanta-based World Championship Wrestling was around September of 1995. What happened was, WCW was looking to scoop up familiar names for their first ever WCW Monday Nitro show. Ted Turner had given them the green light to compete directly with the WWF, and they knew that they needed some talent with mainstream appeal. Now with that being said, Kevin Sullivan had an idea. We had both worked in the past, and he wanted to bring me in, so he gave me a call. Hey Sabu, we got this Nitro show coming up. How much would it cost to bring you in? I knew their deal hearing it from others. Spot appearances were usually about $500. If they liked what they saw, they would give you more gigs and for more money. The $500 works, I said. Without any kind of contract, I agreed to come in for a limited schedule and figured that Kevin would let me know things on the fly. He figured the stint would last at least three months, and even if I had a pay-per-view appearance in the mix too, I was happy. I figured that... 
all in all, it was just WCW, but they'd give me a look. And as it turned out, Kevin's bosses figured that I was okay with taking the low ball of just 500 for every show. They kind of figured wrong, in my opinion. So I made my WCW debut on the September 11th, 1995 episode of WCW Monday Nitro against Alex Wright, Das Wonderkin. I found out in the locker room that Alex was actually afraid to wrestle me. He had heard about my hardcore ways and was worried that I was going to shoot on him. I sat him down really quickly and told him that he was just believing all in a work and that I was actually very good and very safe in the ring. Alex appreciated that I had that chat with him and everything turned out just fine. I made sure to take care of him as I always did with pretty much anyone. They wanted to see me do some pretty brutal stuff. It was nuts. So they wanted to have me win the match, then immediately after the match, reverse the decision after I went crazy on him for no real reason. But they wanted me to put Alex through a table. They had me wrestling the cruiserweights in the early days in that division. I had my match at Halloween Havoc against Mr. JL, aka Jerry Lynn from ECW. Because there were also some old timers in the locker room, I also got my uncle an appearance and a payday. During the match, there was a spot where we didn't communicate very well with my uncle. Jerry and I took things to the outside and fell into the Sheik's hip and leg, actually breaking bones. After winning the match, the Sheik was injured but still able to chuck one of his trademark fireballs in Jerry's face. After the pay-per-view, I was excited to get a payday. I knew that pay-per-view money was pretty good, but I was disappointed when I discovered that there was no bump in pay for pay-per-views for me. $500 was still the going rate for me. I complained to Kevin Sullivan and I learned the office apparently had me pegged for $500 per day no matter what I did or what any other one was getting as far as their deals. I threatened to quit and Kevin, who always liked and supported me, told me he would see what he could do. Now in the meantime, my next match in WCW was against the famous Disco Inferno. He had the greatest hair in wrestling. That didn't matter though. I still won. While we were figuring out my appearance fees out, I had a few days off. And during that downtime, I decided to go work a few house shows for Dennis Carluzzo at the NWA New Jersey, just for some extra income while I was waiting for some answers from WCW. Dennis made me a good offer, even better than WCW was offering me per show. So I went up to do a couple of spots there. Bischoff ended up finding out about my matches with the NWA and he called me to see if I had quit WCW. No, sir, I said, I did not. I've just been waiting to hear back from you guys. Bischoff would then say, so why are you working on shows on the independents right now? Well, I said the office was considering a new deal for me, but I hadn't heard from anybody, and that's all. So you're taking other bookings, he asked. I took the NWA show in the meantime because really I need money. Problem is, I'm not under contract and I'm not making one-off appearance shots for everything, even pay-per-views. There's nothing set in stone. Would I like to be there? Yes, I want to work for you. Well, hold on from taking any other gigs for now and just wait to hear back from us, okay? Bischoff said, I agreed. So I called up Dennis Carluzzo and canceled a few dates that we had planned in good faith so I could return back to WCW in fresh order as they requested. I sat home for about two weeks and then I got a call on the phone from a friend. I was reluctant to pay the 99 cents a minute or ask my mom for permission, but instead I called the WCW hotline just to hear what Mean Gene Okerlund had to say. It was something to do with me. Once I did, I found out through the public recording that I had been fired. Ultimately, they said they fired me for putting someone through a table, though that's what they asked me to do. That was just not the case. The thing was that they were really chicken. They didn't have the decency to call me and tell me that they they were letting me go. I found out on a hotline. 
My goodness. A few years later, I was called again by WCW during the Monday Night Wars, seeing that they had changed their minds about me and were ready to offer me a real contract. Come 1999, I flew up to meet with J.J. Dillon and Kevin Sullivan in Atlanta. When I got to the Ramada Inn near the airport, someone showed me to the room where Kevin Sullivan was, but he wasn't with J.J. He was in the air with a bunch of other guys that I had never seen before. When Kevin saw me at the door, he quickly ushered me out of the room, hoping the others hadn't seen me. No, 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 Kevin said as we exited out of the room. Look, Sabu, he said all nervously, pushing papers into my hands. I need you to wait in this other room and just sign this contract as soon as possible. What's going on here, I asked. I was kind of laughing a little bit. What's with all this top secret urgency? Why is this all going down? Why am I flipping through all these pages that you put in my hands? I really can't say, but you just have to see them. If they see you, it'll mess up everything. Kevin said, look, I have your back. I just sign that and I'll be over in a little bit in your room. Now I looked around in the room and the only person I recognized in there besides Kevin Sullivan was Terry Taylor. I assumed that he was the guy Kevin was sheltering me from, but I really didn't know for sure. I figured whatever it was, Kevin was looking out for my best interest. Maybe Terry was kayfabe from the contract offer and would have tried to kill it if he knew about it. I don't know, but I followed Kevin's lead. Thanks, I said, shaking his hand. Kevin stepped back out of the room. I sat back in my seat in whatever hotel room I was in at the time, just for a little bit of peace and quiet and shelter. In there, I saw the biggest numbers of my life. I couldn't believe it. They were offering me $2.5 million for three years. That's not counting pay-per-views and rental cars. This was a game changer, life-changing money. It was finally a dream come true for me. I wanted to tell my mother about it at first and then fully intended to sign the contract in the morning. The door then opened up. Did you sign it yet? A frantic Kevin Sullivan said as he came in the room. I will, I said. I just want to run it past someone first, but I'll have it to you first thing in the morning. No, 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 he said. Just sign it. Sign it right now. Kevin rushed back out of the room. The reason I didn't sign it was that I really wanted to read the wording over with my mom, who she was really good at stuff like that. I took the paperwork back to me to my hotel. I called her. I learned that she had been having some serious health issues that needed addressing before getting over it. I made some other calls. Then we went over the paperwork. She said everything looked good. I called WCW back maybe six hours later. I reached JJ Dillon and I told him, Hey JJ, I'm signing right now. I'm sorry, Sabu, it's too late, he said. Wait, wait, too late? Too late for what? We will be sued for tampering with a contract. I can't have you sign it now, he said. Paul Heyman is threatening contract tampering and threatened us in TBS, and we had to take it off the table. But he breached a contract with me, I said, not believing my ears. He wasn't paying me. He wasn't brokering my contract. I'm sorry, Terry, JJ said. My hands are now tied. Out of everything in my career, my one regret is not signing that big contract with WCW at the moment it was put in front of me. I should have just listened to Kevin Sullivan. The following year, WCW went out of business, $60 million in debt. It would have been nice, 61 if I had signed, and Time Warner would have to pay it off in full. I didn't really know what had happened. I don't see how Paul Heyman would have ever wasted talking to them. I guess I can only fathom the worst. Terry Taylor was the only guy I knew who was actually in the room that day. He had must have stooged me off to somebody in ECW. Otherwise, it just doesn't all add up. Why, you ask? Well, I don't exactly know, but I do know Terry was old school, and he always tried to give me advice, but I never took it. Whenever Taylor Taylor was around in the past, he acted like he was above me and acted like he should be the one who teaches me. I'd been around the business just as long as he did, and I didn't appreciate him treating me like I was a kid. I eventually had words with him on talking down to me, I think that hurt his ego. Because of our talk, I think he hated me for everything I stood for, much of what wrecked my opportunity that I could have had. 
He was the only one in the room that I recognized. The rest didn't even know me. I didn't know this for sure, but I really think it was him. Unfortunately, I never got a contract opportunity like that again, and probably never again will. This is a comet made from Honan. Sabu is one of the all-time most unique and creative gimmicks in the history of our business. He really is one of a kind. His fearless surpasses anyone who's ever stepped in the ring. When I was in ECW, I finally got to meet up with the guy, who I'd only heard about before in whisperings. Once I saw him, I learned those whisperings were true. I wasn't the only one inspired or impressed with him either. When Paul called looking for some good lucha stars to bring into his promotion, I showed up with Rey Mysterio and Psychosis, and then later Juventud Correa, who were all wrestling different styles and really taking the world by storm, they were all considered trailblazers in the industry at that time to their own right. They were quickly becoming stars, most innovative people in wrestling at that time. However, whenever Sabu had a match in ECW, you could be sure that all of us were watching. I remember often gathering my Lucha Brothers around a monitor at the curtain, or even sneaking under the bleachers so we could see all the craziness that Sabu was about to do. We rarely missed any of his matches, and we would just marvel at all the creative things Sabu would come up with. I remember when Paul had fired or suspended him or whatever he had done because he had gone to Japan and missed a very important ECW show. A lot of the boys in the back were hot about it, so I think Paul had to appease them at the same time. The thing about it is with Sabu was, it was a big part of ECW's success. I mean, he was one of the big guys, though he really needed it there. For the next few months, you could just feel his absence. At one point, I remember going to Paul to tell him that I thought about the whole situation with Sabu and all the chants and the signs, and they were still showing up every night showing support for him. I said, Polly, look out there. These people want him. I know, he said, but what can you do? Yeah, he made a mistake, I said, but don't deny the people what they really want. I don't remember how much time it actually passed after we had talked, but it wasn't too long. It was probably only like one or two shows later. I was standing backstage and Paul called me over to talk to him. Hey Conan, he said, make sure you watch what I'm going to be doing tonight. What's that? I asked. Well, just, just watch, he said. I had no clue what he was talking about. But anyway, he ended up doing the blackout spot where he turns off the lights and then when he turns them back on, somebody's in the ring. He didn't tell any of the boys in the back, but a bunch of us were just watching and waiting to see what happened. The lights came back on. It was Sabu. The place went ballistic. Much respect to you, Sabu. Sincerely, Conan. Interesting words from Conan when it comes to the involvement and everything that Sabu had contributed to ECW. Not only the innovative style, but his creativeness about the way he would treat people backstage, but also very interesting in this chapter was Sometimes you just gotta listen to people who've always had your back and who've taken care of you. Had he just signed that contract right then and there, a year later he probably would have gotten bait out millions of dollars because WCW went out of business. But you know what? You live and you learn. Sabu just wanted to cover his back and he wanted to have somebody who knew legalese to go over all the fine points to make sure he was signing something that was legit. You know the phrase, time is of the essence? Well, in this case, it definitely was, and it cost him millions of dollars. That's going to wrap up Chapter 10 of our journey in Scars, Silence, and Superglue, the Sabu book. If you're enjoying what we are doing, please let other wrestling fans know. Let them know to listen to the podcast, and if you have missed the first nine chapters, go ahead and listen to them in the archives. It has definitely been a wild ride. Next chapter, we are going to be talking about the return Sabu had to ECW and the ECW arena once those lights went back up. With that being said, I am Mike Friedland, and we will catch you on the next episode of Overbooked. The world of NLW.